Welcome to Under the Bleachers. This is a podcast that explores all things sports, all things queer, and the fabulous intersection where queer and sports meet. This podcast is brought to you by Team DC, the nonprofit association of LGBTQ sports and recreation organizations in the Washington, D.C. area. I'm Laura. I'm on the board of Team DC. I've played and loved sports my entire life, and I've played with the DC Furies and Rogue Darts. And I'm Gabe. I'm also on the board of Team DC and I'm a diehard sports fan. I play with many of the Team DC sports member leagues, including the DC GFFL, Stonewall Kickball, Rogue Darts, Kara Bowling, and recently the Washington Scandals Rugby Football Club. And I also do a little drag on the side. We hope you enjoy this week's trip under the bleachers. Welcome, everyone. Lauren Gabe here. It's August 17th, and you're listening to Episode 9 of Under the Bleachers. This week, it's Laura's turn to choose our topics. For a discussion of all things queer, she chose the new comedy special, Three in the Morning, by SNL writer Sam Jay. For our conversation of all things sports, we're talking about the upcoming, maybe, college football season. And for the intersection of sports and queer, we're going to discuss a recent survey of elite women athletes in Britain conducted by the BBC. After that, we're going to share our interview with Team DC's member club, Capital Climbers. But first, it's time for our Team DC update. Team DC recently announced that the Challenge Cup number two will be held October 17th. We can now tell you that registration will open for the event on September 21st. There are going to be incentives available for teams that register early, so mark your calendars and get your teams together. We will share more details about the Challenge Cup and any other Team DC events as they become available. And Laura and I will keep bringing you new episodes of Under the Bleachers every Monday at underthebleachers.podbean.com. And just about anywhere you like to listen to podcasts, including Apple, Google, Spotify, and Stitcher. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. And share us with a friend, neighbor, or enemy. Okay, let's get started. Here's Laura with our first topic in this week's trip, Under the Bleachers. All right, my topic in the world of all things queer this week is the new comedy special, Three in the Morning. Sam Jay is a stand-up comedian and writer. She has performed comedy on Jimmy Kimmel Live, Comedy Central Stand-Up Presents, and the comedy lineup. She is also an Emmy-nominated staff writer for Saturday Night Live, where she is the only black open lesbian writer. Jay's first hour-long comedy special, Three in the Morning, was released on Netflix on August 4th. It's political, it's personal, it feels a little weird because it was filmed in February and there's no mention or commentary about COVID-19 or George Floyd. But ultimately, I really liked it. So Gabe, did you get a chance to check out the special? I did check it out. I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah. It was really interesting. What do you, what, I kind of thought I would rate it like a, B plus. What did you think? Yeah, it's you know it was it, it, had, it had some moments. It was a nice you know something to just put on and watch on a rainy day like today. Yeah, I thought it was an above average, especially for a first hour long special. That was above average, um, funny comedy set. It wasn't like my favorite. It didn't have me you know laugh out loud the whole time or anything. But I thought it was pretty decent. Yeah, and some of the jokes in the commentary I think I've heard before, especially like. It was still really funny, the whole uh, British Museum, how yeah. people just stole everything. I thought that was, like, really funny. Yeah, it's, like, it's interesting. There's a couple of themes that repeat themselves a lot in comedy, and, like, everybody's take is just slightly different, and, like, some are funnier than others. But, yeah, like, she did, she, um, 
she talked a lot about you know it, so it's sort of something i liked about it was that she clearly was making a lot of political statements but not always shoving them down your throat if you know like, what yeah. i mean right and so that british museum commentary you know she was talking a lot about white supremacy basically but like without oh, yeah. sort of you know hitting it directly in your face which sometimes you know that's that's a better way to go about you know talking about an issue so i thought that was pretty good um I really like Netflix, like existing for so many reasons. And one of them is like just how many new comedians are getting one hour specials now. You know, like it's awesome. Like it used to be if you only, it was like Comedy Central and if, and only a couple of people a year would get those, right? No, yeah. And I like that they kind of did talk about, you know, showing different diversity and kind of doing like a role model thing. So she's, you know, a black queer comedian, stand up comedian, which, you know, there's not that many women comedian out that get their specials other right. than on Netflix. Well, but uh, that's what's great with Netflix. Yeah. We're getting more, we're getting more um, points of view than we oh, used yeah. to, right? And it was really cool. I really liked the parts where she was talking about the struggles with her girlfriend, especially when they're traveling. And it's just, you know, it's normal couple stuff that everybody can relate to. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. No. And that's, I mean, that's what we need. We need more of that. And that's actually one of her themes in her special was about representation. And she talked about how it took her so long to come out. And part of the reason is because she didn't, she didn't see any black queer people around her. So she didn't know how to identify that in herself. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is like a completely um, valid and uh, important thing for people to talk about. So. I was gonna say, there's also this video you can check out where she uh, watches the sh the uh, special with her girlfriend, and oh. gets to see her reactions of the jokes. Yeah, which is kind of funny, and it was like really cute to see them on the couch, uh, you yeah. know, going back and forth with the jabs, especially about traveling. <laughs> well, I'm gonna have to check that out. That sounds actually pretty funny. <laughs> is her um, girlfriend like in comedy or anything? Or uh, no, I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah, it did. I mean, I didn't get the impression from the description that her girlfriend was like in the same industry as she is. But, um, and I guess Sam J, she's a writer for Saturday Night Live, but she also appears sort of as like small characters in some of the sketches. Yeah, she'll come out in some of the sketches. Yeah, which is pretty cool too. I would say, especially in quarantine times when everybody's watching a little more TV than usual, I give it a definite recommend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hooray for representation. Yes. And can we please get more black queer women like in the public eye so that we can get um, more representation for all parts of our community? All right. So let's move on to sports. My sports topic this week is the 2020 college football season, as it were. Um, the Ivy League and a number of HBCU schools canceled their fall football seasons weeks ago. Rumors have been swirling around about more cancellations. And then last Sunday evening, Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence, the projected number one pick in the 2021 NFL draft, tweeted, hashtag, we want to play. Many prominent players and coaches joined, and by Monday, the hashtag was the top trending item on Twitter. But despite the growing campaign, both the Big Ten and Pac-12 announced Tuesday that their fall football seasons would be postponed until the spring. All is not lost for college football fans because both the SEC and ACC confirmed that they intend to push forward and play a fall football season. And then on Wednesday, the Big 12 confirmed its intention to play. So for now, it looks like college football will be played this fall, starting in just a few weeks. And we will also get college football in the spring. 
The college football playoff selection committee met last week, but as of now, it's completely unclear whether there will be a college football playoff this year, and if so, how it will work. It should also be noted that there have already been multiple reports out of numerous ACC and SEC schools of players opting out of practices and teams canceling practices because of COVID-related concerns. And the conferences have all indicated the intention to continue monitoring the situation and adapting their plans to move forward with the schedule if they determine that is necessary. With all that said, it is understandable for many players the need to play. For some, this is an opportunity to potentially make their way into a professional NFL career. And we also can't ignore the enormous financial hit that schools will take if they lose the revenue that is ordinarily generated by college football. For now, I think it's safe to say we have a bit of a mess on our hands with regard to the upcoming maybe college football partial season. Um, so what are your thoughts, Gabe? Do you think the season should be postponed? Uh, this is a really pretty pretty tough one. I think for me, it should get postponed. It's going to be really hard to have a full season, especially yeah. with uh, you know some conferences saying we're not going to play. Some are going to play. You know, the whole thing of playing in the fall, playing in the spring. How are they going to have a championship? Well, yeah, it's going to be crazy because like the Big Ten and Pac-12, both of whom have announced that they intend to play their seasons in the spring, are huge conferences. Like that's oh yeah. Right there, it's more than 20 teams. The SEC and ACC are also big conferences, and then once the Big 12 confirmed, there's certainly enough teams there that they could have a reasonable season. But, That's true. You know, but I don't think you can have a championship because – Oh, no, there's no way. Right. Like, if you play the championship in the spring after everybody's done, that's really unfair to the teams who – Played who finished, early in the fall. Yeah, who, like, finished their season and then sat dormant for months and months. I think what you could do is you could have a fall championship and a spring championship, and then you kind of go back to the days of yore where you can have two champions in the same year, which people didn't like, and that's why they started the championship playoff system, you know? So I, to me, but what I actually, so putting aside the question of can you have a championship, what the hell happens to all the bowl games? Yeah. You know, like. Yeah, what do you do? Yeah, are all the bowl games still going to be played? Like the one, you know, are they going to are they going to have them all in January? I mean that alone, just the bowl games alone is so much money. And you know, colleges, a lot of colleges are suffering financially right now. And I just well, that, you know, how I mean that's going to be the tough that? thing. I mean, how much money it's not just, you know, the football programs that are going to be affected, but college football brings in a lot of revenue for other sports to be played. Yeah, so well, and for the they... college as a whole. I mean, they Oh don't... yeah. The money that comes in from college football doesn't only go back into football. It doesn't even only go back into athletics. I mean, you're talking about millions of dollars, these schools, on, on their budget, you know, every year. And I don't know how you adjust to losing that. Um, it's, it's crazy. Like, and I, I just – and for those players who are seniors and are on the bubble of maybe being NFL eligible or – That's like, a tough uh, one. You know, that's tough. I mean, you're talking about it could change the trajectory of their entire professional life. Oh, yeah. You know, so it's a really tough thing. But at the end of the day, to me, it seems silly that, like, half of the teams are going to do this and half of the teams are going to do that. I think they really should get together as a whole, the whole NCAA, and choose – and to me, the smartest thing would be to tell everybody to postpone to the spring. I don't, I don't see what the downsize is for anybody to be playing in the spring. As you see, the uh, that Notre Dame moved over to the ACC for one year, which is pretty interesting. 
Uh, you know, I had seen something about Notre Dame doing something and I didn't pay attention to exactly what it is, but I'm not surprised by that. Um, and this is, but this is another thing too. Like, I think you're probably going to have some players try to transfer at the last minute if they can. Um, you know, if they're players, like I said, who are on the bubble, who really need their senior season to get a chance at being drafted, you're all, all of a sudden going to want to see players wanting to move. It, I just think it's going to create a huge mess. And it's, this is what I don't get. What's wrong with playing football in the spring? Like, is there, why can't the ACC just play in the spring? Yeah. I don't get it. What's the well, I'm wondering, too, because they're, they're each going to be playing, I guess, in their respective divisions and areas. But even with, like, travel and going around, you just need a few people to start getting sick, and then the whole thing is going to go down. Yeah, I, I mean, listen, this is like anything else. It's like you start it up, and then if people start to get sick, what do you do? But, I mean, I thought that baseball was going to shut down again after three days because in the first couple of days they had a bunch of positive tests. But they've apparently figured it out and they're managing it and they're, and they're going forward. So, you know, I don't know, maybe they make their way through this little short season. It's going to be relatively limited travel given that, you know, you're only within your own conference, but if you want to go to, from North Carolina state to Syracuse, you have to get on a plane. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, you're in the there's, same there's no other way of getting there. Right. Like you're in the same conference. That doesn't mean you're not hundreds of miles apart. Because well, so, now they're so huge and they're spread out all over the place. I mean, before they were kind of generally located and now they're just, you know, all over. I mean, yeah. it's like an ACC's goes from Boston to Miami. Right. I mean, South Carolina and Clemson will be able to play each other because they're SEC and ACC and they're nearby. But most of these other teams, like your geographic counterparts are probably in a division that's not even playing. So I don't know. The whole thing is messed up to me, but I think, it would be much better, regardless of what decision they made, it would be much better if all the schools, you know, stuck together and didn't split up like this. Yeah. To me, this is like, a do. it's like going to doom the entire season because everything's going to seem a little not real, right? Like, if you have a fall champion, it's always going to be, well, but you're not really a champion because you didn't even have to, you know, like, play how, you the, know, same, everybody right, and the same with whoever becomes the spring champion. But, like, how do you award a Heisman Trophy this year if half the players aren't playing, some of the players are playing in the spring, some are playing in the fall? So because you're only playing two different conferences, like, you're not going to have as many tough interconference games that you have to play. But how do you – I mean, how do you do it? It's, it's just – it all seems like a big, giant mess. So they're going to have to, at the end of the day, like, play a bunch of games, and it's not going to count for anything, really. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? If these kids, like, want to play football so bad – I don't know. And then I have another thought and I'd love to hear what your thought on this, which is like, you know, these guys are hashtag we want to play. And part of me is kind of like, you're 20. You don't get, you don't know what risk you're taking and you have the hubris of youth on your side, <laughs> right? You just think you're, you think you're fucking Superman because you're a 20 year old hot shit athlete and you think nothing can touch you but I don't know that you really are fully comprehending the risk that you are, you know, wanting to take just so that you can play a football game. Well, that was like one of the tough things uh, when they were talking about opening schools in the fall. Uh, you know, I remember when I was in college and I pretty much did whatever I wanted. There was, you know, so nothing yeah. was going to stop me. Right. I thought I was indestructible. And also <laughs> I would have been so miserable if I didn't get to go back to school and I had to stay home. 
I don't know what I would have done, right? Like once I got to college and learned what it was like to like live outside of my small town and like build my own life for myself somewhere else, going home for the summers was not fun. Right. Yeah. Like, cause, and so if I found out that I wasn't going to get to go back, especially if it was like my senior year, I, that would have been a real problem. I don't know. But that makes me worried that these kids are not making these choices and, and based on the best analysis of facts. It is what it is. And I'll tell you this, if there's college football on Saturdays, I'm going to watch it. <laughs> me too. <laughs> All right. For my topic this week at the intersection of sports and queer, I want to talk about a recent survey that was conducted by the BBC. The BBC Elite British Sportswomen Survey was sent to 1,068 female athletes across 39 different sports. The questionnaire received 537 responses. The findings as they relate to sexual orientation and gender identity were pretty interesting. Encouragingly, just 6.5% of respondents said they think their sexuality has negatively impacted their athletic prospects. But the survey did not ask the women to report what their sexual orientation is, so it leaves some question about what this response really means. Interestingly, more than two-thirds of respondents, or 68%, say that they feel women athletes can be more forthcoming about their sexuality than their male counterparts. And in what I think was the most disappointing result of the survey, over 57% of respondents answered, I don't know, when asked if they thought the rules around transgender athletes are fair in their sports. Um, Gabe, did any of these uh, results surprise you? Uh, not at all. <laughs> I was going through the results and I was like, well, yeah, I could have told you that. You didn't need to do this uh, report, but... I mean, it's still kind of sad that we're still seeing some of the stuff that's been plaguing, especially, uh, you know, women's sports. Yeah, um, I mean, I think this, the middle one that I talked about, which is that 68% of women athletes say that they think women athletes can be more forthcoming about their sexuality than men, to me was the biggest duh moment of all. <laughs> yeah, that was like, a little I could have told you when I was in kinder like in kindergarten playing on the schoolyard that it was okay to be like a butchy girl than it was to be a feminine man. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I think that's a truth that we've all known, although I, I do I, I really do wonder um about sort of the straight women in sports and if they get, if they feel stereotyped against or the, if they feel marginalized um, because everybody might assume that if they're in the WNBA, they're, an, they're a lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I wonder about that. I think that's interesting, but, but that to me was kind of a, yeah, obviously it's easier for a woman athlete to be gay than a male athlete to be gay. But what did you think about um, over half of the people saying, I don't know, when asked if their sport was fair to transgender athletes? Yeah, I mean, I guess because it's a kind of brand new frontier, but people are now talking about it. But I was like, wow. You know, it feels like, lame, though, right? Like, what does that mean? Have you not bothered to find out what the rules are? Have you even looked or seen what they are? You know, have you ever met a trans athlete? Yeah, like, <laughs> I almost was like, if... I was trying to think, like, what if, you know, more than half of the people had said, I don't want trans athletes in my sport? Like, that would obviously be a result that would make me unhappy. But 
I almost feel like it's worse to just be like, I don't know. I don't care. I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah. like this issue is obviously one that a lot of people have been discussing lately. And if you're a professional athlete, I can't imagine how you've been able to avoid, you know, being aware of the issue. So if you choose as a professional athlete to like not pay attention or not then look into what the rules are in your sport, like, what does that say about you and how you care about your fellow athletes, you know? Well, exactly. Cause you're basically saying, I'm not going to do deal with it or do anything until it affects me and just, you know, sit down on the sideline. And when I get right. to it, I get to it. Yeah. And that's like one of the most problematic attitudes, right? Like it's that famous, like Martin Luther King speech, I think where he talked about, um, that it's like the li the liberal white people who don't help the cause are a bigger problem than um, the actual like white supremacists. Type yeah. thing. It's like that sort <laughs> of idea. Like if you just sit back and don't pay attention when you have possibly a platform or some power to impact it for good and you choose to ignore it and not do anything, it's like such a, such a disappointing approach. Well, even the other way, you saw that Martina Navratilova. Did they say her last name right? Navratilova. Navratilova. Okay, Martina Navratilova. That one. Yeah. She just uh, signed on to the letter supporting the Idaho trans ban. What? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, I don't understand. So there was a letter that went out. Let me see uh -huh. how many people signed it. Um, yeah, it came out August 3rd. Um, you know what, these... I did hear that there was a letter and that there were a bunch of athletes signing it saying that they don't want trans women in sports. Oh, yeah, and she was Are the, uh, the top Martina one. Martina never, oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. Martina, yep, yep, Martina, yep, yep. Martina. <laughs> yeah. How dare you? Well, and then now, uh, you know, they're getting some slack for it because they're saying that they shouldn't have published the names of all the athletes. And now the athletes are getting a little you know, uh, they're getting, you know, uh, comments on their Facebook and on their Instagrams and stuff like that. I mean, if you're going to take that position, stand by it. But, exactly. You know, or double back on it just because now you're getting some negative press. Yeah. I mean, you chose to spoke out, speak out. Nobody don't ask you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Like you choose to write the letter and speak out about it, like stand up, stand behind it. But damn, I didn't know Martina was like that. Oh, yeah that's disappointing martina i might have to send her a tweet i'd be interested to see how other women in other countries are or uh, how women in other countries when they if they were to take the survey how they yeah, would i would like to see a survey like this repeated in other countries um i because i did think it was like really interesting some of the questions i asked and i would love to see um the results of this survey among american athletes yeah, especially the ones where they talk about uh, one tro trolling on the internet, but also in media and how different sports, especially female sports, are shown on TV and their you know placement times and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, we have in this country a big movement for pay equity among, by you know the by female soccer players and and things like that. So there definitely are contingent of women athletes in this country who are already sort of trying to speak out about the differences between the, how men and women are treated in sports. And I think it would be really interesting to see as an overall picture of how people answer these questions and how they feel about it. All right. Well, Gabe, I um, have enjoyed talking to you as always. This is fun on this lovely rainy day. 
That's this week's Under the Bleachers Roundup of things queer, things sports, and things at the intersection of sports and queer. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll share our interview with the Team DC member club, Capital Climbers. All right, welcome. We are joined today by Evan and Jennifer, who are representatives of Team DC member club, the Capital Climbers. Um, I want to welcome you both, and if you both want to kind of introduce yourselves, tell us who you are and what you do with the with with your organization. Sure, uh, I'm Evan Rolf. Uh, I'm the treasurer with Capital Climbers. Um, I'm one of the people that folks will find if they come to uh, Earth Tracks Crystal City on a Monday or Wednesday. All right. I think, I, Evan, I think I heard you mention the name of the place where you climb. Can you tell us again what the name of the place is and where, where it is? Yeah, so I go to Earth Tracks Crystal, Crystal City. Um, so it's in Crystal City in the Underground Mall. Um, we are across all of the gyms in DC. Uh, so Jen is at Sport Rock. That's probably the gym where we have the most participation. Um, we're also at Earth Crystal City, which is probably the closest to folks in the district. Um, and we have a contingency in um, Earth Tracks Rockville uh, and uh, a few other groups like Earth Tracks Columbia um, that are, are sort of on the periphery of, of the metropolitan area. Okay, great. So it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, most of your um, group activities are indoor climbs. Are you exclusively an indoor climbing group? Yeah, so the indoor climbs are great to sort of hone your skills for going outside. Um, you can learn to both um, top rope and sport lead in the gyms. Um, and then we have often groups going out on Friday evenings in the summer. Um, there's uh, some weekend trips periodically that are posted. And then there are a few um, sort of trips where we get together with the broader uh, LGBTQ climbing community uh, throughout North America. So the big one is Homo Climbtastic in West Virginia in July. Um, there's probably 100, 120 folks there. Um, there's one in Austin, Texas called Bessel Crag in Texas. This year there's one in Las Vegas. Sometimes there's one at Red River Gorge in, I want to say it's Kentucky. Um, so we're all over, um, you know, as whether it's in the gym, local outside or, or around the country. Like they're very deceiving. They look like just warehouses outside and you walk in and there were some of the most awesome places I've ever been to. Like my boyfriend's a climber um, and he took me one time and I was like, wow, this is really interesting. Like, it's really cool. The rock gyms are just a fantastic vibe. Um, you know, they're, they're sort of the, everyone's really excited. Everyone's really friendly. There's a great culture in climbing where strangers will sort of congratulate you if you did a really good climb, especially in a bouldering wall. Um, so, you know, it's, it, they're always fun places to hang out. Even when you don't see the folks you typically climb with, it's easy to make friends. Yeah, that's, that's very cool. Do you, um, is there a learn to climb portion of your organization or some, or, uh, something for beginners or are you only experienced climbers? Yeah, okay. we've done some beginner nights in the past. Um, but in a lot of ways it's actually better if you just, you reach out to us and, and, you know, uh, someone will, if you say, I want to show up this night, someone will say, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to be there that night. I'll show you the ropes. It's easier to do it one-on-one -on -one because you need to have someone to belay you. And so if there's too many beginners, it's hard for everyone to get to climb in the at first. But we've got a good core of experienced folks. So any given night, we can have as many new folks who want to come get in. 
Um, and, you know, we always want new people to join and, and it's an incredibly friendly group. Nice thing about climbing is that um, it really doesn't matter what skill level you are to climb with someone. I mean, you're climbing for yourself and you need someone to help belay you. And it's great to have conversation like with your belay partner and with the other folks around you. But it's not like you're like, I need to partner up with this person because they're my skill level. Um, literally the only time you need to have any, there's any sort of considerations in terms of who partners with who is for a very particular type of climbing where you need someone about your weight or someone who is good at working across weights. But by and large, we're, we're just sort of, you know, everyone climbs with everyone. We're all really open about it. And so I've been to a couple gyms and I've seen some people climb, I guess, what would you say is one of the most common misconceptions about rock climbing, um, that you've seen and how, I guess, how have you um, gotten someone who's brand new into the sport into uh, climbing? Oh, so, sorry. Um, there are two big ones that come to mind. The first is they've seen free solo and they want to do that. Um, I don't know about you, Jen, but I think all of, <laughs> everyone I can think of who's seen that movie, who is actually a climber, cringes. And a lot of climbers I know don't even want to see it because they, they're just like, that is wildly unsafe. We'll never, ever, ever, ever do that. Um, <laughs> And then the other one that comes to mind for me is that you need to be really fit. You need to be fearless. Um, I'm pretty afraid of heights. Um, I, it, it's, you know, you work through it as you climb um, and you come to climbing, you know, climbing is about using your body well. It's not about being the, the most muscular, strongest person. A lot of people who are really good at climbing aren't really muscular at all. It's just sort of about balance and about um, not tiring themselves out. Um, and, and quite frankly, the folks who are super, super muscular, um, they, they get tired really fast cause they have a lot to lift up. So, um, yeah, it's, it's for everyone. Everyone can do it with their body. All right. That's cool. Um, I did see that movie free solo and I, um, legitimately felt like I was having a heart attack through 80% of that movie. So I'm glad to hear that, uh, that, that that guy's attitude about how to climb is not necessarily typical among your community. So for people like me who really know nothing about um, your sport, can you sort of describe how it, how it works? In, I hear you saying that it, you climb in pairs. I'm not really clear on how that works or what the term belaying means. Chris also mentioned uh, top roping and uh, lead climbing. So top roping is the what people typically start on. So the rope is at the top of the wall um, and you're climbing up to it. Uh, the nice thing about that is that you're invincible. If you fall, you're going to be just fine. You'll stay exactly where you were before. Um, and so it's a really great way to practice and you feel really, really comfortable. Um, and then some of us also lead climb, which means that you're bringing your rope with you. It's sort of like playing a video game. And if you uh, die in that level, you have to restart the level before that or restart at the beginning of the level. Um, you sort of fall back to the point that you were at the last time you clipped yourself onto the wall. So it's a little more scary, a little sort of extra challenge. Um, but we do both and, and folks are really happy to do whatever anyone in the gym wants to do that day. Okay. Well, that's when you, and when you say uh, the first one you were describing is the rope at the top. What's what secures the rope at the top? It's just wrapped around a um, metal bar or it's it's between two uh, carabiners. Um, so it, it's really the person who's holding it is the person down below. So it's like a simple pulley system. Huh. OK. And if you were outside climbing a mountain, how would you get your rope to the top of the mountain before you climb it? 
uh, you actually have to walk. If you want a top rope, you walk around the top, um, sort of uh, tie it to some trees at the top and lower it down. Or in some cases, there'll be bolts up there and you can sort of just lean over and, and clip it into place, usually while you have a, uh, a rope also holding you in place. Um, so we make sure that we're really safe while we're putting them up. Um, and then uh, lead climbing is actually a little easier outside because you can just bring the rope up, put it up as you go up, and then you can actually have other people top rope off of it once you get to the top. So it's really great to go with someone who's better than you so they can set up a rope and then you can top rope all afternoon. Okay. Well, this is all very informative. I uh, I don't know how intuitive it is to people or how long you guys have been climbing and um, how long it's been since you thought about these silly questions, but it's all interesting and new to me. So y'all were talking about all the different events that you uh, go to and participate in all over the country. What is it like for you to be a member of an LGBT climbing group specifically? So these are actually the, the events we typically go to are LGBTQ climbing events. Um, and so it's, it's like paradise. I mean, it's, there's such a close knit community across cities. Um, everyone who's sort of in those communities really, you know, you get to know one another after trip, after trip, after trip. It's like a mix of like hard climbing during the day and then like a drag show at night. Um, and uh, it's, it, they're just, they're just fantastic. It's just such a like low key outdoorsy group. Um, I have to be honest. We don't, I haven't even gone on a, an outdoors trip where it's mostly straight folks. So I'm curious um, about your guys personal sort of experience, whether with capital climbers or not. Um, can you tell us about some specific climbs you've done or some of your favorite climbs or places to climb, or do you have any climbs on your bucket list? Um, I know I have a climb on my bucket list in West Virginia that I've done it top rope many times and I'm too scared to lead it because the, uh, the, the bolts that you clip into, so essentially where you restart from, they're just so far apart and they're in weird places and I know I can climb it, but I'm just, I need, I'm psyching myself up for that day someday to, to go out and do it. Um, but one that is really memorable. Um, I went out to Virginia last year with a friend, um, uh, Elizabeth Furness is the name of the area. Um, and we were, uh, uh, it was a crowded day. There were lots of folks at the crag. Everyone was really friendly, um, but there wasn't a lot of stuff open. And we got to a climb where we knew it was going to be too hard for us. And, and I sort of said at one point, you know, I, if, if we don't climb this, we don't have anything to climb today. So I'm going to do this, even though this is way above what I'm capable of doing. Um, and uh, at one point got myself in a really tricky spot. If it, for any climbers, I, I Z-clip myself, which is uh, not a great place to be, um, but got out of it and got to the top, and it was just the best feeling in the world. All right. Now, a lot of us are kind of bummed about the Tokyo Olympics being postponed until next summer, but one of the new sports that was supposed to debut was sport climbing. So how do you feel about, or what are your thoughts about um, sport climbing now being an, an official Olympic sport? Um, so as I understand the way it is in the Olympics is, is pretty odd. Um, they're, uh, having, they're, they're putting together a couple of different types of climbing, which typically require different training and experience. Um, if I'm recalling correctly, so it's, it's, um, speed climbing, which until like two years ago was, you never saw in the U S 
Um, it actually just started to, you, you just started to see speed climbing take off here because of the Olympics and, and the gym in um, uh, Sport Rock where Jen goes, uh, they finally have a speed climbing wall so you can try it out. Um, but that's really, it's almost like weightlifting. Like it, it requires a lot of muscle. It's sort of um, pushing yourself up through really easy holds. Um, and that's a really different skill set than like bouldering or uh, sport climbing. And so I, as I understand, the people who are doing it are going to do all three of them. So I'm excited to see it and, and um, for climbing to sort of get its spot in the sun. Um, but it's it's a pretty odd way of doing it for the Olympics. Um, uh, aside from climbing, do you do capital climbers um, have other sort of group activities that they regularly engage in, whether they're social or community service projects or anything like that that you guys do outside of the gyms? Yeah, we um, we do a happy hour once a month. And that's a great place for people to come if they want to see what the group's all about. I know my introduction to Capital Climbers was going to a happy hour. I figured it would be a lot less scary to meet climbers there than at a gym. Um, and everyone I met at the happy hour was really cool and friendly. And they all were like, come to the gym tomorrow. We'll, we'll show you the ropes. Um, and, and they convinced me to show up. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, that's a great option. Um, and then, uh, the, um, we, I mean, we sort of have some things back and forth. A bunch of us get dim sum, uh, occasionally for a while people were playing Mahjong together. Um, you know, there's, there's folks who will go on outdoorsy trips that are not necessarily climbing related. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very loose, but, uh, we tend to all get really close to one another. And so there's lots of sort of group activities that tend to get posted on the, the forum and that, uh, um, are sort of adjacent to climbing, if anything. Okay, terrific. Um, well, <laughs> I want to thank you guys for joining us. Um, we really appreciate it. I hope that um, some people are listening and find out about Capital Climbers and might be interested in joining you. Thank you for jumping on and teaching me a little bit about basic climbing. I appreciate you guys making the time. Thanks so much for the opportunity. All right, bye, guys. bye now. Thanks for listening to this episode of Under the Bleachers. Under the Bleachers is proudly produced by and a product of Team DC. For more information about Team DC, please visit www.teamdc.org. We want to give credit to Ralph Elston, a Team DC board member, for the design of our logo. Also, our intro and outro music is provided by DC's Different Drummers Marching Band and was composed by Travis Gettinger. You can always find Under the Bleachers at underthebleachers.podbean.com and our podcast is also available on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and share us with a friend so that we can all keep meeting Under the Bleachers. Under the Bleachers is hosted by Team DC Vice President Laura Freyer and Team DC Board Member for Fundraising Gabriel Hernandez. All views and opinions expressed are solely those of the hosts and the participants on Under the Bleachers and do not express the views of Team DC.